Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard every Sunday at noon here on Talk Radio, 1370 AM, streaming live at talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. child who's been prescribed Ritalin or been put on psychotropic drugs? Do you know someone who has been on antipsychotics? For decades, scores of doctors, government officials, journalists, and others have extolled the benefits of psychiatric medicines for children. In some states, over half of all children in foster care are on these powerful mind and mood-altering drugs. More and more children are being prescribed antidepressants And you do have to wonder, what are the consequences of drugging an entire generation of our youth? Many have argued that the increase in school shootings and child suicides was directly linked to this mass medication of Americans' young people. Many experts, researchers believe the mental problems that are now epidemic among our children are simply the inevitable consequence of prescribing more and more drugs to our children. So what can we do about this? Can we take on the pharmaceutical industry for the sake of our kids? Is that even the answer? Our guest, Kevin Miller, is an international award-winning writer, producer, director, who has conducted extensive research into this issue. He has a new film coming out later this year, Letters from from Generation Rx. And, Kevin, you're going to help us better understand the full extent of this problem and some solutions to it. Right. I sure hope so, Teresa. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And if you hear some um, thunder in the background, there's a storm coming through the area, so I apologize in advance. No, no issues. I love the title of your upcoming film, Letters from Thank Generation you. RX. This is the first generation who's had who's been exposed to the massive amount of psychotic. Uh, psychotropic drugs, isn't that correct? Yeah, indeed. I mean, it's certainly in a mass scale, it's the first generation. So now we're dealing with kids, uh, young adults, who have spent their formative years really, um, you know, in part of this experience in the grip of that. And it's, um, uh, it's, it's really a startling thing when one stops and thinks about it, how many tens of millions of kids have been on this. Is it primarily in the United States, or is this uh, drugging of this generation going on all over the world? It's less so in, in other countries. I mean, you know, for example, in, in the U.K., they reeled back the use of uh, particularly antidepressants among children and teens quite a few years ago, almost 10 years ago. And so... Uh, the United States has really been the leader, <laughs> in quotes, in uh, employing these psychotropic drugs in a broad scale uh, for the conditions, of course, that you know are called ADHD, bipolar, depression, and um, even schizophrenia. So it is one massive social experiment, to be sure. So is it just our kids that, you know, they're, they're just more kids in America that have these issues, or is it that our country is just more open to drugging for these issues? Well, I think it's a number of things. I, I think that, you know, number one, we're 
we're uh, the only um, Western industrialized nation that allows this extensive uh, of advertising and marketing of these of these drugs to to the populace. So that has a, a big role to to play. And and then you know, frankly, it's the regulatory agencies themselves also. I mean, when you're talking about the FDA and uh, you know and others that are responsible for this trend, they uh, are in the center of the conversation as far as I'm concerned. And we often let them off too lightly. So you know, other countries have been more judicious, but it is still spreading. I mean, the you know the Child drugging in particular is, is a growing trend, and it's obviously one of the reasons why I'm uh, producing this new film, Letters from Generation Rx. So why the topic? Why well, is this personal for you? <laughs> well, that's a, we could take up the whole hour just, just uh, about that, Teresa, but I produced a film a few years back called Generation Rx, and really what I tried to do with that film was was just lay out the other side of the story. I mean, as you said at the intro, we've been hearing for decades that these uh, these drugs, uh, these mental health drugs, if you will, are both safe and effective for children, teens, and, and adults. And so I just um, felt that it was a needed part of the conversation to show the other side of the story and then truly give people, you know, informed choice so that they could make the the choice that was best for them, uh, their family, their children, what have you. So, again, though, why why personal for you? Why well, there was topic? nothing. There was nothing that happened to to me personally. Uh, there was nothing that that you know involving my family or anything else. It it really. Was uh, it goes back to, of all things, uh, 20 years ago for me, because I was uh, producing another film at the time that was narrated by uh, the great James Earl Jones, and that was called Let Truth Be the Bias. And I was doing some research in the National Archives, and I came across some footage uh, because I was doing broad FDA research at the time. And I came across this footage from the 1991 FDA Prozac hearings. And um, so <laughs> it, it was powerful. It was very powerful footage. And it wasn't appropriate for my project at the time, but I never forgot it. And then fast forward about, I guess, about 12 or 13 years or so, and I happened to be in Washington, D.C., and there was a hearing that I went to just to kill some time because I had just interviewed uh, two congressmen. Uh, Peter DeFazio from Oregon, and, and Ron Paul. And so we were uh, doing an interview about free trade and some other things. And I had some time to kill in between interviews, and so I found out there was an FDA meeting, and I ducked in there with my cameraman and said, hey, why don't we just get some footage, take some, take some shots um, of the panel members and others, and let's, you know, we'll just capture it for posterity's sake. Well, I was working uh, while he was shooting. I was working on my computer, and my head was down, and I was only half listening. And at some point, after all these people getting up and testifying, I remember picking my head up and kind of cocking my head and saying, my God, you know, where have I heard this before? And within minutes, I placed the fact that I had heard all of this before 
as Yogi Berry used to say, deja vu all over again, uh, at the 1991 Prozac hearings, of which I had watched uh, hours of those videotaped hearings uh, 10 years prior. And at that point, I guess, Teresa, the long and the short of it is that I realized that nothing had changed and that if I, and that it was too important a topic to let go and that I needed to do something on the topic. So that led to Generation RX. Hmm, interesting. So, uh, now, are- you know, in the context of the new film, the reality is, is that after Generation RX came out, I received thousands of letters from, from teens and parents and, and uh, even policemen and, and other people to giving me their, their input on the film and telling me their stories. And so while I thought I had made my statement, if you will, and I was going to be one and done uh, in, in terms of this kind of a documentary, I was really, really, really moved that I had to uh, produce letters from Generation RX and feature many of their stories. So how bad is it really? How bad is the drugging of our children? Well, you know, my, my dad and his, uh, his great parents, uh, my, my grandparents used to live in Texas, and what uh, he used to say to me all the time was, son, everything's relative. And so I guess it depends on which side of the equation you are. It's, it's really bad if you are a person who is conscious that this is going on. Uh, the problem is is that most even medical doctors and 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 people in the profession uh, are truly not aware how bad it is now there's multi layered reasons for that, but when you're drugging tens of millions of children and teens alone, not even counting the the adults that are that are on these medicines it's uh, uh, it, it, you know it's a, it's a, it's a problem that we are going to have to tackle and hopefully sooner rather than later. So why, besides the obvious, you know, the, a child has an issue, um, let's say ADHD or ADD or depression. You know, I, I believe there are underlying reasons for what seems to be ADHD or ADD or depression or whatever, and I think it comes back to nutrition or the lack of nutrition, the food supply, um, you know, et cetera. But from a, take me out of the, the conversation, why do these kids have these symptoms, in your opinion? Well, that's, that's a, you know, that's probably the great unknown. I mean, there are many, many, many factors that come into play here. I was speaking with someone no more than an hour or two about it who, who was sharing that his, his son was uh, diagnosed as ADHD, and what they found is, is that is that their son had had uh, allergies, really awful food and other allergies, and so uh, he was very sensitive to smell. He was sensitive to food dyes. In this case, a, a specific red dye that's used frequently in in food, and so he was having uh, sort of a hyper reaction from it. I guess the bottom line is that we we don't have any consciousness of of nutrition or the role nutrition plays. And, you know, my goal is really not to dictate to people. I believe in people's medical freedom of choice, if you will. But it's, it's to provide all of the science that's been withheld from us and to provide all the answers so that people can then 
evaluate that information on their own and, and, and make the choice that they deem is proper for them. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with the allergies. I think that's a huge – it goes back to what we call food or what is being – sold as food, right? It really isn't food. So these kids are being um, nourished and they're acting out or they've got all sorts of symptoms. And so the easiest answer, and I'm not talking about parents, this isn't about putting down parents, it's about the, the system that we've got, right? The process, if you've got a child that's got some issues, you take them to the medical doctor and the easiest prescription is drugs. Right. And the, and, the, and the fact that, as you well know, it, certainly from the sounds of it, you, you've more than done your homework on this, Teresa. It's that medical doctors have virtually no training in nutrition. Uh, they have no concept of it. And this is where, in some ways, they're, they're a victim of, their, of the initiate, if you will. They're a victim of their training. Um, there's, a, there's a really fascinating study I remember reading back in 19... 19- 88 or 90, somewhere around there, that, that uh, took a large poll of thousands of medical students before they entered medical school, and they said to them, uh, how many of you think that nutrition will play a vital role in your practice as a medical doctor? And it seemed like common sense, I guess, so well over 90% answered yes. Well, after 18 months, that figure had dropped to somewhere around 18%. Mm. And so you see that they had gone through the system and they had been part of this training where they sort of unlearned what their intuitive common sense had told them was, was logical. And so this is certainly a big part of the problem. And, and it's a big part of the problem in, in trying to find solutions because while we have spent uh, – you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and even billions of dollars on the research of, of uh, psychotropic drugs for mental health. Uh, and certainly the drug companies have made hundreds of billions of dollars worth of profit off of these drugs. We have probably not come anywhere in the vicinity of even spending uh, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars on nutrition to see what role that might play. And actually... In, in a smaller way, that's part of what I cover in one section of Letters from Generation Rx, is, um, are some of the people that actually found their way to mental health, if you will, through the um, use of nutrition. And there's some very powerful stories in there. Let food be thy medicine, right? The doctors Indeed. have missed that part in their training. And I've had other guests on the show that discuss you know, how the the history of the medical schools in this country and the influence the pharmaceutical industry has in the medical schools and, and the training. And so I believe the doctors do need to take responsibility for their practice and for their knowledge. But from the perspective of the whole system itself, they're not, they're not teaching nutrition. So a right. lot of these issues that these kids have, not to say all of them, but I think a lot of them does have to do with they're not getting the proper nutrition because our food is crap, and a lot of our food is crap, and, you know, they they go to drugs because drugs is it's the easiest prescription well, I, to give. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, and I think that part of, part of the answer that goes, you know, parallels exactly what you're saying, Teresa, is that you look at our scientific methodology and the way that drugs 
our past and just the broad scientific methodology, even outside of medicine. And you know that the dictate of, of medicine was set about 100 or so years ago, and that means that we can only study one chemical or one nutrient, one ingredient at a time. And so that was set forth in the, in the teens, uh, you know, 1915 or so, and we are still following that model. And so what, why that is so odd is that, you know, I mean, obviously we know that nature is it's not one element. A plant that, you know, ha- might have hundreds of active ingredients that are all working synergistically together. But conversely, in the drugs themselves, we've witnessed time and time again this polypharmacy or the use of two, three, four, five, ten different psychotropic medications to try to, quote, cure the problem. And so we're not even, the scientific model isn't even set up to study the polypharmacy that's going on. So you literally, in this case, have tens of millions of young adults and teens and and adults who are literally part of an experiment Mm -hmm. because no one is studying how does Ritalin counteract with Zyprexa, how does Zyprexa counteract with the SSRI antidepressants and so on. So, you know, at some point or another, and I'm thinking the train is coming in the station pretty soon, we're going to deal with this uh, problem head on. And it's not going to be uh, pretty, I don't think, for, for a lot of the uh, manufacturers of these drugs. So why do you think that is? So actually, let's go back one step. Follow the money, right? And obviously, it's the pharmaceutical industry that's making hundreds of billions of dollars in the sale of drugs. But let's assume they're not evil, right? Let's assume that they really want to help people. Right. Their perspective or their solution is, you know, a prescription with drugs. And they've got studies, supposedly, that back up the efficacy of these drugs. And they also have the FDA, supposedly, uh, governing and overseeing the drugs coming into, uh, you know, the the mainstream and being used by people. Where has that part not worked or broken down? Wow. Well, a whole bunch of ways. I mean, if we go back to the whole idea of science only being able to study one ingredient or chemical at a time, and then you combine that with what happened in the 1960s, which was the advent of what, is, what are called randomized control trials, RCTs, which are supposedly the gold standard for approving drugs in our society. Well, at that point, once the, once the RCTs were established, the rules for the RCTs, the drug companies actually, for the first time ever, really, were able to look at this and say, hmm, now, okay, what is the minimum amount required to get one of our drugs approved? And so we have a system in this country, for, you know, not just with psychotropic drugs, but with all drugs, that now really sets the bar so incredibly low, Teresa, that it's frightening. So you have, you have uh, the FDA in the case of the SSRIs approving uh, Prozac and then Zoloft and then Paxil based on absolutely the weakest science humanly imaginable, even gave them credit, uh, you know, for, you know, 
test for one of the for one of the studies they barely allowed to go by, but they only need to have two RCTs that meet this minimum standard. So, you know, in the case of the SSR antidepressants, it literally was a judgment call by some of the higher echelon at the FDA to say, well, this is the way it's written, and so therefore they've supplied that, so we really have to pass the drug. Now, you know, in the 50s in particular, and before the randomized control trial rules came in, it used to be that the drugs had to be, quote, safe and effective, according to the FDA. And, and now the bar has been set incredibly low that they gain the system in a certain kind of a way. The, the drug companies gain the system. They know, you know the very minimal amount they need to get their two. They only need two RCTs to get a drug passed. And so they, they find a way, come hell or high water, to get those, those studies uh, pass FDA muster. So it's, uh, it's, it's shocking, <laughs> it's shocking how, how bad the science uh, truly is when you, when you get in and, and dig deep. Hmm. All right. Well, we are going to go into a break, but when we get back, uh, we will be discussing the school shootings, acts of violence by minors. Do you think this has anything to do with the over-medicating of our children with psychotropic drugs? Kevin Miller is our guest, and we will be right back. This is Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Just now joining us, we are speaking with film producer and pharmaceutical industry researcher Kevin P. Miller about the link between youth violence and psychotropic drug prescriptions. So, Kevin, before we went on break, we were talking about the very low standard that the pharmaceutical industry has to meet in order to have a drug come to market. And before it was based on safety and efficacy, and today um, the standard is just really uh, not there. The other the other issue I'd like to bring up is, of course, the revolving door between the officials oh. in the FDA and the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, it's a joke. Well, well, I've got quite a history here now. I mean, I've been researching FDA for over 20 years, and I have done the only interview that I'm aware of with Michael R. Taylor, who is now, again, second in command of for the FDA. He originally was appointed by the first President Bush, um, and, and he has been around a long time. And he has also been involved in Monsanto's legal team. And a funny story about after I interviewed Michael Taylor for the, um, for the film I, I mentioned earlier, Let Truth Be the Bias, was that I had really had a powerful interview with him, and a couple of months later, he left the FDA. Some say that you know he, he became too visible as a result of the film, so he had to. He said, "You better go away for a while." But anyway, where he went to, where he went was to the um, Department of Agriculture, and within months, 
one of Michael R. Taylor's pet projects, which was RBGH growth hormone, the synthetic mm. growth hormone used in cows, uh, was packed. So therefore, you know, 90, well, unless you're drinking truly organic milk, you are getting this recombinant bovine growth hormone in, in, your, uh, in, in your milk and in all milk products, of course. So it, it, Michael R. Taylor has been a guy that's gone back and forth and back and forth from private industry to law to representing Monsanto, being on the team that represented Monsanto and back. And by the way, that RBGH growth hormone was called Pozilac, and who, who is the manufacturer? Well, it was Monsanto. So, so, I mean, he's the guy that's the epitome of the revolving door. As is his wife, which no one really knows much about, Christine uh, Taylor, but she was actually on a commission uh, that was the U.S. delegation representing uh, the United States at what is called the Codex Alimentarius mm-hmm. Commission back in the uh, 2000, 2000, mid-2005 era. So, and, and her direct purview <laughs> was, uh, was dietary supplements and, nutri- and nutrition. Uh, in, in representing before the Codex Alimentarius Commission. So, you know, this is um, a huge problem. It's always been a huge problem. And I actually tackled it somewhat in, in Generation RX. I had a whole section on conflicts of interest. And um, it's uh, astonishing that we have these lax rules that allow people to wield their influence in this way. And one of the prime stars, if quote, in quote, of, of Generation Rx, uh, who again will be in the new film Letters from Generation Rx, was a man who was the head of the psychopharmacology division for FDA named Thomas Lochran. And uh, he, uh, within the last year or so, year and a half, has finally left the FDA. And now he has hung up his shingle as a consultant to uh, to this industry, so um, you know this is a very difficult and uh, it's a, certainly a very sad day for ethics uh, when you're talking about these kinds of cases. But these people become incredibly valuable because of their insider information on how things get done. Right, right, and they know if they are if they rule favorably towards the industry then there are some very nice, lucrative positions for them available outside of their government positions. And it's the revolving door. They go in and out, in and out. And uh, as far as the consumer is concerned, right, I mean, they're, they're supposed to be there to serve the public. And they're serving oh, yeah. the big corporations, and they're serving themselves. And we think we're being protected. You know, if there's a a product on the market, my doctor says I should take it, my doctor says my, my child should take this because he's got an issue, it, you know, there's an implicit understanding with the relationship that we have with our doctors and the government thinking that they're looking out for us, and nothing could be further from the truth. Well, I guess this is probably the saddest part of the reality for me because way back in my youth, I actually... I actually believe that many of these groups were indeed, and these agencies were indeed uh, protecting the public. And um, it wasn't until I really had these firsthand conversations and investigations that I conducted in the 90s and, and throughout now that 
Yeah, I realized that this just is not the case. And I had a similar experience 18 years ago when I had the opportunity to take off my rose-colored glasses from some research that I was doing and realized that uh, our money system, our government, our legal system, our pharmaceutical industry, I mean, so so much of what we consider sacred cows, right, it's all based on illusion and lies. And right now, the, the conversation we're having today is about the drugging of our children, our innocent children. What's the future for these kids? based on your your research and your understanding or do we not know well, well, because it's an experiment well i don't i don't know if we know i think that part of what i'm i'm really quite hopeful about with with the new film teresa is that this one might be the one that really breaks through in a very wide uh way because as with everything and you deal with this with your radio show every single week and beyond it, it's it's about educating people because, you know, I mean, again, I was motivated to do this current film because of the letters I received from people um, uh, who, who saw Generation RX. And the letters were heartbreaking. And one, one teenager named Brianna, actually she was 20 years old, wrote me a letter and said, this is the first time I've ever heard that uh, someone was against the drugging of children. <laughs> I mean, as mind-blowing as that sounds, this is what it all comes down to. It's so elemental that if we don't arm people with the information and give them reason to be angry, then nothing changes. But, you know, in the course of this, of this new film, I also had the opportunity very recently to interview the director of the National Institutes of Mental Health. And I can only say to you that the information that he imparted to me uh, will, will blow people away. The way that he spoke about the industry, the way that he spoke about uh, the, quote, successes or failures in the mental health um, uh, industry, the way that he talked about the lack of knowledge that NIMH still has after 30 years and all of this investment. I'm, I'm really hoping that this will be the thing that, that uh, number one, gets the attention of big broadcasters and, and others um, because he doesn't usually conduct too many interviews. But the content of that alone is, is astonishing. Uh, so uh, I think that, you know, you're on the right path and, and what you're doing from your heart Trying to educate people is really the reason why I'm involved in this all these years. I certainly didn't get involved to be wealthy. Uh, I'm just trying to, to educate people and, and allow people the freedom to make choices based on, uh, you know, a wide swath of information. Columbine, Sandy Hook, child suicides, homicides. Why do these tragedies seem to be occurring more and more? Is there a relationship, in your opinion, to these psychotropic drugs and the drugging well, of the generation? You know, I think that the easy answer is that in most cases we just don't know. And that there's a reason why we don't know. That most of the information is sealed. So, you know, I mean, there are people you read on the web all the time, and there are all kinds of 
quote, experts out there who will tell you definitively that there is a connection. Um, you know, but, it, again, I try not to explore conjecture in the film. So one of the ways around, uh, one of the ways that I tackle this issue is to show individuals who didn't even have depression, for example, who took these drugs and perhaps ended their life or killed someone or some other horrific act. And just, by the way, for any of your listeners, you know, one of the most powerful things I'm including in my films in, in terms of this topic is an examination of, uh, briefly, about Chantix, which is, which is an SSRI. It's a stop-smoking drug, right? What's it called? Chantix, C-H-A-N-T-I-X. Okay. And, and it's basically just, it, just an antidepressant. And, and uh, you know, the figures for Chantix in terms of suicide and violence are higher than any other drug manufactured right now. So you have to ask the question, well, wait a minute. If this stop smoking drug is at least tied to more horrific acts and, and, and suicide than any other drug currently on the market, and it's not for depression, well, doesn't that disprove all of the people and the naysayers who've been saying it's impossible to have this kind of connection, um, you know, when people are on antidepressants. So there are many ways to, you know, to, to illustrate this. And part of what I've tried to build my career on is, is, is integrity of the information. So rather than making wild accusations and, and asking people to take wild leaps of faith with me, I find other ways to illustrate this and bring other examples like I just did with the Shantex thing in for people's consideration. And ultimately, I think we win from that. You know, if someone was to do a, a research online, Internet research on the side effects of Prozac and Zoloft and Paxil and so many of these SSRIs and the pain and suffering that people go through when they stop taking these drugs. Oh, my God. And the, this it's is, awful. It, it's horrific. It is living hell. And this is coming from the people themselves. It's not censored, right? It's, it's these people reaching out right. for help, trying to figure out how they can get out of their hell. Uh, I don't know. If, if I was a parent that had a child that needed some help, I, the first thing I would do is just go online and start researching. And once I look at these side effects, like what you just said, the, the you know, there's this drug to stop smoking, but there are horrific side effects to it. You've got to think, well, maybe there's got to be another way or something else I could take or do. Well, again, we've created a culture. This, we've created this myth around doctors. You know, one of my old favorite photographs is, you can look it up online. It's W. Eugene Smith, World War II photographer, just acclaimed, just an amazing war photographer from World War II. And he has a photograph, I think it's called The Country Doctor. But we've shifted this, this idea of, of, the, of doctors being almost like priests in a certain kind of a way that serve the public. They used to make house calls. They'd come to your house. And we've shifted from that. Now we've created this whole myth about doctors being, I mean, being God, 
for lack of a better phrase. And so, you know, this is, this is really problematic. And so we put all of our faith in, in doctors, and we, very few of us, do the work anymore to discern what it is that we're taking on a daily basis uh, in terms of pharmaceuticals. And so when you've sat across from as many people as I have, Teresa, hundreds and hundreds of families. Number one, I've got a measure of PTSD myself because of hearing all these awful, just heart-wrenching stories for so many years. But more, uh, more important to the point is that people don't know. They don't know. I interviewed uh, Maffie, a woman named Maffie Downing for my first film, and she's also in the second. She, her daughter, at the age of 11, committed suicide on mm. Zoloft. Mm. Ten years later, almost to the day, and Maffie's a school teacher, lives in the D.C. area. Ten years later, almost to the day, another school teacher lost her daughter to suicide on Zoloft. Mm. They somehow found each other. And it's like, well, how can it be that these 10 years have gone, Matthew, and, you know, I'm so sorry about your daughter, but how can it be that 10 years have elapsed? And I've heard nothing about this in the meantime. So, again, this is, this is my sort of mission on, on this film, Letters from Generation Rx. It's been, you know, it's been a very personal mission. Uh, it's been very challenging. Um, obviously, there aren't a lot of huge commercial sponsors and other people stepping up to, uh, to assist us in this process. But it's, it's, it's getting done and will be done in a few months because it, it has to be done. And, and it, you know, if people watch Letters from Generation Rx or the first film and, and decide, well, okay, I, I'm glad I have that information, but I still choose to put my child on, on this or use an antidepressant myself, well, then so be it. You know, I've done my job, but uh, too many cases, the parents and the individuals involved in these tragedies simply do not have the information. Kevin, perhaps we associate with like-minded people, but I've got to tell you that most people I, I talk to and hang out with do research. They're thinkers. They're online. Is that not true for most of these people, or is the information being suppressed, or is it hard to find? Well, see, this is a tricky part of, of this conversation. I've always tried to avoid conspiratorial thinking, if you will. It doesn't matter whether I personally believe it or not, okay? But part of the, part of the problem is that even, and I, I tell this in the new film, I illustrate this in the new film, Part of the reason that the information was suppressed for decades about Prozac and the other SSRIs is because Eli Lilly, I'm sure with help from the FDA, helped, um, helped really dictate what the conversation was. And back in 1990, when it was being called a wonder drug, a miracle drug, Prozac that is, there was also an incidence where they were being starting to get feedback from, from people who were encountering these tragedies or being you know, personally uh, involved in these, in these kinds of suicides or violence. So what Lilly did was that they, they blamed the, uh, they, they basically said a three-point uh, strategy. 
number one, it's about the disease, not about the drug. Number two, it's greedy trial lawyers trying to rip off grieving widows. And number three, it is all about what they call the cult. It's all about Scientology. So back in 1990, 91, 92, 93, when all of this was starting to rear its ugly head, Eli Lilly, with their massive resources, was able to convince people that the only people against this, these drugs, and speaking out against them were not you know, mothers that had lost a child or a husband or a son or anything else, but they were the Scientologists and the greedy lawyers. And then it was really all about depression. Well, of course they, they committed suicide or they, they were depressed. That's why they were on the drug. So we, to your point, when you're talking about all the information that's available, unfortunately, not everyone is, is responsible as they really should be, or as we need them to be, with this information. And, you know, you start reporting conjecture as fact and rumor as facts, and you create the cesspool of information where people don't know what the heck they can believe. And uh, I certainly expect and pray that, that, that uh, when people see Generation RX or the new film, they're, they're not going to feel that way. They're going to feel, feel fully informed and this is something they could mention to their congressman or a school teacher or anyone that they, in, they come in uh, contact with on this kind of topic. Quickly uh, or briefly, because we just have a couple minutes, what's the solution? Or what is a solution? Well, there, one of the things that I report in, in the film is I went to Canada and throughout North America, really, and I interviewed 40 or some 40 or 45 people who had been in the worst states of, of mental health conditions. Some were in mental health institutions. Uh, some were just completely debilitated. Some were on six, seven, eight, ten drugs. Some were violently bipolar. And so I found just an, some awesome researchers in Canada including a woman named Dr. Bonnie Kaplan and Dr. Julia Rutledge and some others who were doing this very, quote, radical research about nutrition. And basically what they've uncovered is that in their studies, they have determined that in many people, who are encountering certain aspects of depression or certainly bipolar, even schizophrenia to a lesser degree, that there is a, a mineral deficiency. And so they've been using a studying a supplement called True Hope. And it's uh, True Hope and you, you can find them, I guess, at truehope.com. And they've been using this study that they get no money from the company, they get nothing else, and there's a powerful personal story on why the guy even founded the company that's in the film, the new film. But they've been studying this, this broad-based mineral supplement. It has 36 ingredients, mostly minerals, a few vitamins, a few amino acids, and they've been able to reverse a lot of these conditions. And so that is one uh, ray of light that is coming from this, 
uh, even though, you know, chances are it won't get studied on a governmental level here or in Canada or probably, you know, many other nations as well. But this, this idea that we're just uh, a certain subsect of people just are not getting anywhere near the nutrition they need, and therefore this mineral deficiency is causing a lot of these problems. So that's one thing, of course. In England, they're, they're training 10,000 new cognitive behavioral therapists um, uh, who actually work in conjunction with psychotherapy to sort of rehumanize psychiatry. And we're not doing anything like that in this country, but it's a very aggressive and I think very positive measure in the UK so that we can get back to one-on-one -on -one dealing with some of these problems and, and try to find ways outside of the psychopharmacological model that um, has really, you know, helped individuals. There will be individuals, of course, that tell you they saved my life, antidepressants saved my life, or this bipolar meds saved my life, and I'm sure that's true on whatever level for individuals. But on a population level, the numbers aren't there at all. And so, you know, I, I think that we're, we're in the midst of this very important discussion, and I'm hoping that the film will bring enough uh, hope, if you will, to people and enough resources to people where they will at least never get on an antidepressant unless absolutely necessary if they've never done one. And by the way, if people are listening and they're on an antidepressant now, don't just stop it. Because as you said earlier, the withdrawals are absolutely mind-blowingly painful and awful. You need professional assistance to get off the drugs, so never stop uh, just immediately because that's when a lot of the suicides and violent acts, actions actually happen. Right. Uh, the first 21 days after a dose is adjusted, either up or down, or after you stop. So please don't stop your meds if you're on them. But, you know, we need another path. Um, we can't just keep enriching the pharmaceutical companies when there's just too much science out there that says that either there's a, quote, placebo effect, but make no mistake, they have very real effects on millions of other people in a negative fashion. So uh, I'm hoping that this film, again, will, will uh, illuminate some new paths and get people thinking uh, different ways that we can attack our mental health crisis, if you will. Absolutely. And this, this conversation is certainly not an indictment to those who are on the drugs. Um, not at all. Kevin, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And uh, Letters to Generation Rx is the title of your upcoming film. We will link to your website on livingwealthyradio.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Kevin T. Miller. It's been my great pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tracy. We'll talk again. God bless. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio on Talk 1370 and streaming live at talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. 